You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, we're going to continue with our series on the prophetic biography, the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, seerah to Nabawiyyah. Last week, in uh, last week's session, we were talking about the birth of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the blessed occasion of the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in terms of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, what we actually spoke about last week was the actual physical birth of the Prophet ﷺ, when it exactly occurred, what were some of the circumstances when it occurred, and uh, what were also the experiences of his mother, Amina, uh, during the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, and then also what were, how were some of the birthrights of the Prophet ﷺ fulfilled, such as the name of the child and some of the other birthrights, we, like we talked about the the khatna and the cutting of the hair and the naming of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi and the uh, the aqiqah, the feast that follow afterwards. So we talked about all of those basic details in last week's session. What I had mentioned that we would talk about in this week's session is part of the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi part of that same discussion. And if anything, maybe it should even be discussed beforehand. But I chose to talk about it afterwards because it's not necessarily the focus, but it is still related to the overall discussion about the birth of the Prophet and that is that some miraculous events are reported to have occurred um, in and around the time of the birth of the Messenger of Allah Now I mentioned this last week that this is something that is somewhat debated or contested amongst scholars. Uh, classical scholarship has discussed this issue at length in terms of the authenticity of these narrations. But nevertheless, um, what, what gives me confidence in mentioning this and in uh, telling, you know, narrating some of these stories and incidents before you is that the vast majority of the of Islamic scholars who have written about the seerah, the life account of the Prophet ﷺ, have decided to mention these events and these incidents in their books of seerah. They go ahead and offer the disclaimer that look, the authenticity of some of these narrations are discussed and debated amongst classical scholars. But nevertheless, none of them have have been deterred from mentioning this fact or these incidents within their actual seerah. From Ibn Ishaq to Ibn Hisham to Qadi Ayyad to even Ibn Kathir rahimahumullah. All of these classical scholars who have the uh, main fundamental books, the maraji'ah, of, of Sira, that the, these books that serve as the primary ref, references and resources when studying the life of the Prophet they've all mentioned these incidents within their books of Sira, and so based off of that, inshallah, we're going to be talking about these specific incidents. Now, I'll go ahead and narrate the incidents rather than summarize and then detail to you. I'll go ahead and start right at the very top, inshallah. So. Many, many scholars from amongst them, Al-Hafid Al-Khara'iti in his book, Hawafit Al-Jan, um, he actually mentions a narration that comes to us from Maghzum bin Hani Al-Maghzumi from his father who was a Sahabi radiallahu anhu. And he actually, his father actually lived to be 150 years old. Um, and he says, لَمَّا كَانَتِ اللَّيْلَةِ أَلَّتِي وُلِّدَ فِيهَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ إِرْتَجَسَ إِوَانُ كِسْر
He says that the night on which the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, was born, that the palace of Kisra, the emperor of Persia, his palace literally shook on that night. And the whole palace was completely shaken on that night. And he goes on to say that there were 14 balconies which literally broke and fell off of the palace. So there were these luxurious extended balconies which extended from uh, on the outside of the building of the palace of Kisra, the, the emperor of Persia. And the shaking was so violent that 14 balconies literally broke and fell off of his palace on that same night. And the, the fire of Fadis. So the people of Persia were primarily Zoroastrian, Majusi. And so what, what, what that means is that their uh, primary mode of, uh, their primary belief system and their mode of worship was that they worshiped a fire. And so there was this one sacred fire that they had been worshiping that had been lit for a thousand years. That fire had not been extinguished, they had not allowed it to go out in a thousand years. And that was the primary fire that they used to worship in the central object of their worship and their, their, their uh, devotion and dedication, their veneration. That fire was extinguished on that night. It literally just went out without any explanation. And it says, وَلَمْ تَخْمُدْ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ بِأَلْفِ عَامٍ It had not gone out, it had not been extinguished for a thousand years prior to that. It also talks about how on that day that the river of Tigris, its level became extremely low to the point where a lot of the irrigation canals and the extensions and the canals that they had dug from it and a lot of the extensions that they had dug to take water from the Tigris River to the different agricultural regions in the area, water stopped flowing to those regions, that the level of the Tigris River felt that low. And there was a name by the name of Mubidan. He was basically a wazir, he was a minister, he was a very influential man in the court of the emperor of Persia. He saw a dream on that day that a camel, not just a camel, but a very large, older camel, was outrunning a very fast, young horse. So he sees in his dream that he sees a very young, fast horse running, and there's a very old camel that comes running up from behind it, and basically overtakes the horse. The camel is running faster than the horse without any explanation. And similarly, he sees in his dream about the river. He see actually what he sees in his dream as the Tigris River completely stops flowing altogether. So he sees all of this in his dream. Now with the palace shaking and the balconies falling, and then along with that, you know, light being witnessed by people all the way as far as Asham. So villages and towns and cities, all the way reaching all the way to Syria, people are witnessing a bright light shining into the sky without any explanation at night. And then on top of that, one of the ministers of Kisra sees these very, very interesting dreams. So he brings this news to Kisra. Kisra is also receiving the news of the fact that people have seen this bright light shining in the sky and his own palace was completely shaken up and balconies and pillars are falling inside of his uh, palace. So he's completely, uh, he's very, very extremely worried and nervous at this point. So he calls for a council and it says that he... He gathered all of the people together, all of his council members and everybody that he used to rely upon. He sits down upon his throne, puts his crown on his head, and then he basically gathers them all together and he goes, Do you know why I gathered all of you together? They said, no, the king knows best why he gathered us together. So he says that the fire that we worship, the central fire that we worship was extinguished last night. 
You know, my, my, my palace was literally shaking. Balconies and pillars inside of, my balcon inside of my palace were falling down. And that's when Mubidan steps up and he says, by the way, last night I also saw these very confusing, perplexing dreams. So the, the emperor of Persia is basically extremely worried and he doesn't understand what's going on. So he asks Mubidan. Now Mubidan, one of, his, uh, one of the, his roles in the court of the king was, he was an extremely intelligent, he was basically a very intelligent academic individual. And he also was known to be able to interpret dreams. So the king asks him, he goes, Mubidan, you saw this dream, now tell me what does this dream mean? He says, Hadathun yakunu fi al-Arab. He says, something very interesting is going on in the direction of the Arabs. And he says, أَعْلَمُهُمْ He was very intelligent in terms of interpreting dreams and other little uh, such knowledges or understandings or sciences. And so the king, uh, the emperor of Persia basically sends a man um, in the direction of the Arabs to go there and to basically find out what's happening. And when he sends him out there, this man goes out there, travels a little bit towards the direction of Arabia, and he finds another person out there, um, and, and he basically asks him. So he goes to another very, very knowledgeable person, um, and he consults with him. He goes, look, the king, the emperor of Persia has sent me to try to find out what's going on. I've come to you, and this, that man's name is reported to be Abdul Masih. Um, and so he comes to him, Al-Ghassani. So he was from the tribe of Ghassan who were bordering, who lived in Asham, who lived in Syria, and they used to border the Arabs. So he said, I've come to you to try to find out. My king, my emperor has sent me to try to find out what's going on with the Arabs. Something's going on there, but we're not exactly sure. Can you tell me? He goes, you know, it's funny that you ask me that, because literally for the last few days or weeks, I have the leaders of Asham, the leaders of the people of Syria and the tribes people of Syria coming to me literally every single day asking me the same exact question, what is going on in Arabia, in Al-Hijaz? Because something's going on there and we're finding out news, our people are, you know, some people are seeing dreams, some people are hearing news and all of our monks are making, you know, are basically relating to us prophecies that are mentioned in their previous books and so something big is going on but I'm not completely sure and you bring to me the same question that I've been receiving for days now so we find a lot of this very very interesting um, discussion taking place and all of this um, unrest is occurring amongst many of the powers of that time and this is all due to the simple birth of the Prophet ﷺ. Just his arrival onto this planet, onto this earth is literally causing all of this unrest and chaos in the minds and the hearts of the people who had been ruling over people and who had been basically been taking advantage of people for so long. These people are being made to feel very uncomfortable and this is foretelling of the, the, the end of their era and their rule coming to an end basically. It talks about something else that basically in another narration it mentions that this man um, Abdul Masih he calls on another individual, so Abdul Masih he calls on another individual by the name of Satih. Satih was basically known as somebody who was very knowledgeable about the prophets and the teachings and the traditions of the past. So he was a man who had memorized the Torah, he had memorized the Injil, he had memorized a lot of these previous texts. And so he was very knowledgeable about prophecies and things of that nature. 
So he ends up telling Abdul Masih that look, what the answer that you're looking for is simply the fact that the man who is to be the prophet of the last times has been born. And that's what's causing all of these events to occur. And he even goes as far as saying that I have found in the prophecies written that there will be 14 more kings, uh, 14 more emperors till um, the, the, the rule of the Persian emperors, the Kisra. Kisra was basically the name of the position. Anyone that would become the emperor of Persia through that dynasty was called the Kisra. So he said the era, the reign of the Kisra will see 14 more emperors, 14 more individuals and then it will come to an end. And so Abdul Masih basically accompanies that individual who was sent by the emperor of Persia, he accompanies him back to the emperor of Persia before the Kisra. He presents himself and he says, That he said that the Kisra basically understands and he relates to the people that the news that I am reaching back is that there will be 14 more emperors, there will be 14 more kings in our dynasty. And then he goes on talking about that this will happen and this will happen. And he says something very interesting that's about to happen is that so much unrest and turmoil is about to come to our home, our dynasty, that in four years we will go through 10 different emperors. We will overturn, there will be such a quick turnover that we will go through 10 emperors in the next four years. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And then what, what the historians basically note is exactly that's what transpired. That 10 emperors were quickly came in succession one after another because they were killing each other, they were taking over each other's thrones. And so literally this happened for four years. For four years it saw 10 different emperors and then the rest, the other four of them remained in power all the way till the time of the Khilaf of Uthman anhu, when the Muslims finally came, completely overtook the entire empire of Persia and then the Muslims basically took it over and this is mentioned in the book of Imam al-Bayhaqi. And it even goes as far as mentioning the simple fact that um, that the last emperor was Yazdarjird. He was the one that fought the Muslim armies. And he was the one that the, literally the palace of Kisra was completely destroyed um, during his time and during his era that the Muslims completely destroyed the palace even of Al-Kisra. And it said that before him, his dynasty had ruled in Persia for 3,164 3, years. That dynasty of the Kisra had ruled Persia for over 3,000 years. And it finally came to an end at the end of, you know, during the Khilaf of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And subhanAllah, what's interesting about this is that the historians mentioned that the very first emperor of Persia from that dynasty was, his name was Khayyumart bin Umayn bin Lawad bin Sam bin Nuh alayhi salam. So basically the first emperor of Rome from this dynasty of the Kisra was the great great grandson of Nuh alayhi salam. And that same dynasty ruled that region, that area for the next 3,000 plus years until it finally ended during the Khilaf of Uthman radiallahu anhu. Wallahu ta'ala alam, Allah knows best. It also mentions in some of the narrations that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu mentioned some narrations that 
even before the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. Because some of the monks and some of the Christian priests were reading the prophecies and some of even the Jewish rabbis were reading and telling, foretelling of prophecies in which it talked about the Nabi Akhir Zaman. It talked about the prophet of the, the prophet of the last times coming and his time coming very, very soon. So it actually mentions that um, you know, generations, two or three generations before the birth of the Prophet, ﷺ, a group comes to Mecca from the rulers of Asham and from different areas and regions. And one of the individual and they end up in coming and literally interviewing different leaders of the Quraysh trying to figure out from whose family is this Prophet going to come from. One of the individuals that they end up interviewing, his name is Abd shams and another person that they end up interviewing is Abd Munaf, who were from the children of Qusay. So they end up testing them. Now Abd Munaf is one of the great-great-grandfathers of the Prophet And when he ends up answering all their questions about his family, about his children, about his circumstances, about where he's from, and he ends up answering all these questions, They end up start having a discussion about what will happen towards the end of times. And then one of those people, one of those priests who had come, he tells Abd Munaf, the great-great-grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, خُذُوا minni." He said, listen, I want you to listen to me very carefully. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me the knowledge and the understanding of certain things. So I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Oh Arabs, you right now are in a time period of just... The, you, are, you are literally in a break. You are, you are kind of on a time period. You are in a time period where you're, where you're on hold. You're on pause. Alright? Nothing important is happening with you right now. But it's about to happen. Something is about to come. It's the calm before the storm. And then it goes on to tell them that whether you end up realizing this, understand that others do realize this. And he says that right now you have no knowledge. لا علم عندكم ولا فهم. You have no knowledge and you have no understanding of anything. You're an ignorant, Bedouin, desert-dwelling, camel-riding people. That's all you are right now. You're very, very simple. You have to understand that. The way we outsiders see you, we don't look at you with a lot of respect. We don't have any respect for you at all. Because you have no knowledge, you have no understanding, you're a bunch of literate people. You roam around in the middle of the desert. There's not a lot you people have going on for yourselves and we really don't see much in you. However, he says, But people of great understanding are about to come from your coming generations. They will go out and they will see great, great types of knowledge. These idols that you worship, your great, great, your progeny, your generations to come will break these idols with their own hands. radam, and these people will follow a solidified understanding of something. and they will fight the great empires that exist today, the Roman and the Persian empires. They will go out and they will fight them and confront them. ganam, not only will they fight them, but they will overcome them and they will end up coming into the spoils of war. They will inherit all the wealth that you see in the great. Um, dynasties and the great empires of your time. And so you, you, we find accounts of this simple fact that people of knowledge of the traditions and of the prophecies of the past prophets and messengers, they were already coming to the Arabs generations before the Prophet and they were saying, look, something amazing is about to happen with you people in a matter of a few generations. 
And so you need to be conscious and aware of this. So this is all basically um, foretelling of the coming of the Prophet ﷺ. He actually recites some poetry that's very beautiful. He says, He says, understand that there's a life hereafter that remains for eternity. And that is where you should hope for, that is what you should look forward to. لَيَخْرُجُنَّ مَنْ balad. And the person who lives here, who is from this place, will actually leave his home. He's talking about the process of making hijrah. The person who belongs to this town will leave here. He'll be kicked out of here. Nabiyun muhtad. He will be a prophet that will be guided by God. Yahdi ila rashad. He will guide people to that which is correct and that which is true. Yarfudu yaghutha wal fanad. He will reject the idols that you worship. He will completely have absolutely nothing to do with the worship of these idols. He says, He will worship one Lord and one God. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will actually give him death. Allah will take him away in the best of places. Talking about Madinah Munawrah. So it's even talking about the virtue of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, that Allah will take him up from there. Min al-ardi mafqudan. And right now, the virtue and the blessing of that place is lost on the people. They don't understand the value. And if you actually look back in the history, in the history of the Arabs, Yathrib was not, even though it was very fertile, so it was very fertile soil, and you know, dates used to abundantly grow there, and they would seek out the dates of Medina. At the same time though, they didn't have a lot of value, a lot of significance for the place called Yathrib. In fact, it was known as a place where you get sick. It was known as Waba'u Yathrib. You, you get sick over there. It's not a very good place. The climate is not very friendly there. So they didn't see a lot of uh, virtue and a lot of attraction in the place of Yathrib. But he says that that is a place that right now people don't see the virtue in it. It's lost on the people. And this is being witnessed by the sky. He even goes as far as saying that our books tell us that there will be a man with the quality of a Siddiq. He will be truthful. He will inherit the rule from this Prophet. When he will make a decision, he will speak the truth. And he says that when he, he will return the rights to the people and he will not do anything that is unintelligent, nor will he be like, he will not be a pushover. He will not be unintelligent, nor will he be a pushover. Then after him, a man will inherit the, the, the command and the rule who will be very, very focused. Talking about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. Mujarrabun ghitrif. He will be a man who will be of great experience. Like Umar radiallahu had basically, you know, been there, done that. He had seen every, uh, everything in life. So he will be a man who will be experienced and at the same time though, he will be a man of great honor. Qada adaf al-mudif. And he has, uh, he, he will be a man of great hospitality. Wa ahkamat tahnif. And he will again be a man of great focus. 
Thumma and then the narrator goes on to talk about he even talked about the qualities of Uthman radiallahu anhu and the fact that Uthman radiallahu anhu will be killed he'll be assassinated he'll be murdered he even goes as far as talking about the other kings that will come from Banu Umayyah, the Banu Umayyah dynasty. He talked about the kings of Banu Abbas, the Abbasid dynasty that came, that came after that. And he even talked about the other fitnas that will come upon the believers even after that, Muslim Ummah after that. Ibn Asakir has basically mentioned this entire narration from Ibn Abbas in its entirety. So you find prophecies to this extent existing before the Prophet talking about his coming. It even goes as far as talking about Abu Nu'aym in his book Dala'ilu Nubuwa. He mentions a narration from Shu'aib bin Shu'aib an Abihi an Jaddihi radiallahu anhum. This was basically three generations of Sahaba. All these people had basically, so the grandfather, the father, and the grandson, all three of them were Sahaba. All three of them were Sahabiyun radiallahu anhum. So they oftentimes a hadith are narrated that Shu'aib narrates from his father who narrates from his grandfather. Radiallahu anhum that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said. And so he says actually that, that the grandfather was passing by a place named Zahran. And the grandfather was very old. He saw and believed in the Prophet ﷺ towards the tail end of his life in his very, very old age. So he was passing by a place by the name of Zahran. There he met a Rahib, a Christian monk. All right? Yuda'a Aisa. He was known by the name of Aisa. That was his name. That's how he was known. مِنْ أَهْلِ الشَّامِ وَكَانَ مُتَفَخِّرًا بِالْعَاصِ بِنْ وَائِلِ And he was from the people of Asham, he was from the people of Syria, and he had some relations with Aas bin Wa'il as well. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ قَدْ آتَاهُ عِلْمًا كَثِيرًا وَجَعَلَ فِيهَا مَنَافِعَ كَثِيرًا لِأَهْلِ مَكَّةِ مِنْ طِيبٍ وَرِفْقٍ وَعِلْمٍ Alright, so this man... This Isa, this, this Christian monk was very well known for his very deep knowledge and understanding of the previous traditions and the previous texts and the teachings of the prophets of the past. And he was also very well known to the people of Mecca because he was a very generous man, he was very nice, very humble, and he was very knowledgeable. So when the, when the, when the, when the people doing trade, when the businessmen of Mecca, of Quraysh, would pass by him, he would host them and show them a lot of hospitality, and he was very kind in his dealings with them. He basically had confined himself, majority of the time, to um, a temple or a church that he basically had, and he had basically confined himself there, and he used to worship there. Once a year though, he used to leave the confines of his church, his monastery, and he would basically go to Mecca to buy some things and also to go and meet some people, interact. He had some old relationships with a lot of the leadership in Mecca. So once a year he would leave the monastery and he would go and go visit everybody in Mecca. And whenever he would visit Mecca once a year, he would always say one thing to the leadership in Mecca. He would say, إِنَّهُ يُوشِكُ أَن يُولَدَ فِيكُمْ مَوْلُودٌ يَا أَهْلَ Mecca." He said, oh people of Mecca, please listen. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. You're very close to a child being born amongst you. Alright? Yadinu lahul Arab. The Arabs will follow his deen. Alright? Wayamlikul ajam. He will rule over the non-Arabs. Hadha zamanuhu. This is his time and his era. 
ومن أدركه واتبعه أصاب حاجته Whoever finds him and then follows him and believes in him, that person will find himself in a very good strong position. And whoever finds him, deals with him, sees him, gets to interact with him, but ends up confronting him and opposing him, that person will basically be on the wrong side of this situation. He says that he's from a sham. He says, I did not leave the land of luxury and the land of enjoyment and pleasure and peace and tranquility. I did not leave the land of luxury, comfort, and peace and tranquility and come to the land of hunger, starvation, economic uncertainty, and civil unrest. Because Asham was basically ruled by the kings of Ghassan. There was a government in place. There were kings who ruled there. It was very abundant. It was very lush, very green, had a lot of water. It, it, it was basically the land of much abundance and a lot of comfort and luxury. And there was a stable government in place. And he says, I didn't leave all of that and come here to a place where there's hunger and starvation because it's the middle of the desert. Alright, there's no water, there's no growth, there's no vegetation. And on top of that, you people don't even have a government. All your tribes are constantly fighting and killing each other. I did not leave all of that and come here to such unrest and such adversity and difficulty. إِلَّا فِي طَلَبِهِ Except to find that Prophet. I read about him, I studied about him, and I knew he's going to be here from this area, and that's why I've come here. That's why I've established my monastery, my church, right here outside of Mecca. And that's why I keep coming back into Makkah. And I take, and he said basically why I come here is to scope out what's going on, to put my ear to the ground, and to find out what, I'm, what I hear about this Prophet coming. So this is the only pe reason why I live here. I mean, you people are very, very nice, don't get me wrong. But it's not good enough to basically move here. I've come here for that simple reason. Alright? And every single time a child would be born, he would go and he would ask about that child. And he would investigate. Alright? And, and as soon as he would go and find out about that child, he would say, describe this child to me. What does he look like? What's going on with him? And when he would hear the news, he himself would not disclose what he was looking for. So he'd say, okay, describe the child to me. All right, some more, some more, some more. But he himself would not disclose what exactly he was looking for. And finally, one time, what he ends up doing is, he ends up sharing some of that news, what the, the markers that he was looking for. He finally, after many, many years, he ended up sharing that with a few individuals. And he only did that because he was afraid that he might die. He started becoming older. He started getting sick. Um, there was also some fighting going on in the area. So he wasn't sure if he would actually survive and he didn't want this knowledge to die with him. So he ends up imparting some of those signs to look for in that child who will be the prophet of the last times. Alright? And the day that the Prophet of Allah was born, alright, it said that a man from Mecca to whom this, this, this uh, priest, Isa, had given some of these signs to, he ends up going out to the monastery, the church of Isa, and he ends up telling, Ya Isa, he says, what happened? He says that a child has been born, alright, today, and it might just be the child that you've been looking for. 
And Isa says that today is Monday, and the child will be born on a Monday. وَيُبْعَثُ يَوْمِ الْإِثْنَيْنِ Not only that, but he will be given prophethood on a Monday. وَيُمُوتُ يَوْمِ الْإِثْنَيْنِ And he will die, he will pass away on a Monday. Alright? So he says, what was that child named? So when he's then finally informed that, by the way, they named the child Muhammad, Isa literally can't contain himself. He says, وَاللَّهِ لَقَدْ كُنْتُ أَنْشْتَهِ أَنْ يَكُونَ هَذَا الْمَوْلُودِ فِيكُمْ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ he says, what family was he born into? And when he informs him he was born, he is the son of Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib. He was born into the family of Banu Hashim. He says that I used to wish that the child would be born into that family. Because that is a very, very, very good family and it's a family of great people of great stature. He says, He says, three things are coming together. Number one, he says that basically the star, I saw the star in the sky, the same star has been witnessed, has been seen on the night before every single prophet's birth. Every prophet that we have a record of, the star that shines in the sky when a prophet is born, I saw that star in the sky. Last night. And he's been born today on a Monday. And number three, his name is Muhammad. The three signs are coming together. He says, take me to that child. That is that same child. That that's the same child that I should tell you about. He then says, alright, once he reaches there, he then says that Alright? فَيَشْتَكِي أَيَّامًا ثَلَاثًا He says another sign of that child is that the child will suffer for three days. The child will suffer for three days. Alright? And he will not be able, he will have discomfort drinking milk for three days. And there's actually a narration which talks about this, that when the Prophet of Allah was born, one of the shayateen, ifrita min al-jinn, one of the very bad evil shayateen, when he came, because some of the jinn and the shayateen basically knew that this is the Prophet of Allah, Messenger of Allah Sallallahu who's been born. So what that one of those jinns, one of those shayateen, what he did was he came and he stuck his fingers in the mouth of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu and he would cause discomfort to him so that the Prophet Sallallahu would have trouble nursing. He would have trouble drinking milk. And for two, three days, the Prophet of Allah as a baby was very uncomfortable because of this jinn basically coming and trying to interfere with the Prophet of Allah until the malaika basically did not come and remove these jinn and start protecting the Prophet And then the Prophet was basically able to suckle, he was basically able to drink milk comfortably after three days. And so this was another sign. Another sign of the Prophet of Allah was the simple fact that um, and many of the monks or the rabbis, there's even stories about you know, some of the ulama of the Yahud, basically some of the rabbis, some of the very, very deeply knowledgeable people from amongst the Jews, them also coming and you know, hearing signs. So some of the Arabs of Medina actually talk about that some of the very knowledgeable Jewish rabbis came to them and said that we saw a star in the sky, the same star was shown on the night that Musa was born, and that other prophets of God were born. 
Somebody has been born here. Another story actually says that some of the Arab leaders of the tribes of Aus and Khazraj, the Arab tribes that lived in Medina, some of the Jewish rabbis came to them and they were in tears and they were crying and they said, Qad dhahabat, qad dhahabat. It has left, it has left. And they're, they're like, what are you talking about? They said that Nubuwa has left us. Nubuwa has left Banu Israel. So why do you say that? He said that we saw a light emanating from Mecca. We saw a star shining in the direction of Mecca. And it tells us that the, la the Prophet of the last time has come amongst the Arabs. He was supposed to come amongst us, but he's come amongst you guys. Prophethood has gone, Prophethood has left our, our lineage, and he'll come amongst you now. And so there are multiple narrations of this nature talking about this fact. Another narration actually talks about this, how some of the, again, the, the, the rabbis, the very knowledgeable scholars amongst the Jews, they came to some of the Arabs and they said that this child that has been born that will prove to be the prophet of the last and the final times, he has come from amongst the Arabs, amongst the people of Quraysh, amongst the people of Mecca, and there's a sign. He said, what's the sign? He said that the sign, some of the signs were that he will actually be a yatim. His father has already passed away. He said, there are other signs. What are some of the signs? He says that in, on his back, between his shoulder blades, he has a mark, a birthmark. He has a mark, he has a birthmark. And that birthmark is like a cluster of moles. And there will even be small, small hairs growing out of some of these moles. It will be very distinct, this little birthmark. And this will be in the middle of his, between his shoulders, in the middle of his back. And this will be the seal of prophethood. This will be one of his birthmarks and one of the signs that he is the prophet of the last times. And it's actually said that one of these Jewish rabbis, one of these scholars from amongst the Jewish people, he actually ends up going to Mecca in search of this child. And he goes around literally from family to family asking, was the child born on this and this day? Was the child born on this and this night? Until he finally finds out that, you know, a child was born in this family. He goes to the family, he goes to the home of Amina, the mother of the Prophet and he inquires to her, he goes, did you recently give birth to a son, to a child? She says, yes. He goes, may I see her? I mean no harm to you people. I just would like to see this child. When the child is shown to him, he holds the child in his hand and he says, he has a nur of nubuwa. And then he says, I'd like to look at the back of the child. So the mother basically unwraps the child and she shows it to him. And he ends up seeing the birthmark and he says, this is the prophet of the last times. And I pray that I get to see the day that on which he will be given actual prophethood and I can actually come and believe in him. So there are multiple narrations of this nature talking about the coming of the Prophet ﷺ and some of the incidents that were unfolding at that time and some of the prophecies of the past that had survived even till that time and you know different uh, knowledgeable people from amongst the Christians or even from amongst the Jews they were basically coming and they were you know trying to uh, exactly pinpoint the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, and they were trying to come and witness this child and at least be able to lay their eyes upon this great child that would literally one day become 
the great prophet of the final times, of the last times, that not only had they heard about, but the prophets of the past had prophesied about. They had basically foretold about the coming of the Prophet of Allah And this is even something that's corroborated through the Qur'an. Again, just like as is the, the nature of the Book of Allah, the nature of the Qur'an, that it points, it alludes to something. And then we have traditions and narrations and a hadith, and even uh, narrations of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum which corroborate that which detail that and which are basically able to provide more insight into that that in Surah Al-Safid exactly talks about that with Qadr Isa ibn Maryam Ya Bani Israel inni rasulullahi ilaykum musaddiqan lima bayna yadayya min al-tawrah wa mubashiran bi rasulin ya'ti min ba'dihi ismuhu Ahmad that I am not only a messenger and prophet of God who brings you a message that confirms and affirms reality to you, but at the same time, I've come to, to give, deliver to you the good news of a messenger and a prophet that will come after me and his name will be Ahmed. And some of these Jewish uh, rabbis or Christian monks that were actually coming and they were inquiring about the Prophet they were actually saying that his name will be Ahmed, his name will be Ahmed. Our books tell us his name will be Ahmed. And I mentioned in previ the previous week's uh, session that there are multiple narrations. Some of them actually go as far as saying that that while the name actually given to the Prophet publicly by his grandfather was Muhammad, that the mother of the Prophet actually used to prefer to call him Ahmed. There are actually narrations of this in the books of Sirah. So this is corroborated through that. And he actually, so I was telling you about this, this, um, this man that's coming and, um, you know, telling all of these uh, signs of the Prophet of Allah And so he says that one of his, um, so this, this Isa, this Christian monk, so he says three days he will um, be very, very, he'll have difficulty, this child. Then he'll be okay. Then he goes on to say, Be very careful with your tongue about that child. Nobody will ever be envied as much as that child will be envied. Nobody in the history of humanity will be envied like that child will be envied. And nobody will be attacked as nobody in history has been attacked as much as a child will be attacked. Meaning when he becomes a prophet. He says, and he tells, he tells this person who takes him to Mecca, and when he witnesses this child, he tells that man, he says, and listen to me, if you end up getting to live to the time when this child will grow up and preach his message as a prophet, and he will call the people, you will see your people doing things that you never could have imagined. These honor, honorable, dignified leaders of yours, they will behave in such you know, reprehensible fashion that you could not even imagine your leaders behaving in that way. But you will have to be patient and you will have to lower and humble yourself in those times. anhu. So don't you ever ever say anything bad about that man, about this child, about this baby, about the Prophet that he will become. Guard your tongue against him because many people will not. And then he even asks him, فَمَا عُمْرُهُ How long will this child live? So he says, "In This child will not live to see the age of seventy. 
Subhanallah. He goes as far as saying that when we've, been, we've, we've also been told he will not live to see the age of 70. And not only that, but he will die at the age of 60 in some odd numbers. Either 61 or 63. Subhanallah. He even goes as far as that, that our books tell us he will live to be either 61 or 63, and this will end up becoming the average age of his ummah, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in a narration that is authenticated, that is graded as Hassan, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, it's in the books of Tirmidhi, أَعْمَارُ أُمَّتِي بَيْنَ سِتِينَ وَسَبْعِينَ The average age of my ummah is between 60 and 70. Alright? So, these are... Just some of, the, some of the narrations which talk about some of the miraculous events which were unfolding around the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. That not only was the Prophet ﷺ born, and even we talked about some miraculous events at the time of his birth. His mother seeing very vivid, clear dreams, literally being visited by angels and malaika. That his mother basically talks about she never experienced any pain carrying him. She didn't even experience any pain of labor or childbirth. That when he was born, then a light... She says, when he exited me, when he came out from me, a light also came out with him that blinded literally everyone in the house. Nobody could see anybody but that light. That the, the couple of women that were there helping, assisting her and giving birth, the mother of um, uh, Abdurrahman bin Auf, the mother of Hakim bin Hizam, some of these women, they actually talk about how we literally could not see anything. One of those women says, I looked up at the sky, there was an opening in the ceiling of the house, and I thought that a star came so close. The stars were coming down, the moon was coming down to witness the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, to the point where I thought that they would literally fall on me. All these miraculous events are unfolding. And then we read about this today. The fire that the people in Persia worshipped, it was extinguished. That the palace of the emperor of Persia is shaking. That the balconies, 14 balconies literally broke and fall off, fell off of his palace. And all these people seeing vivid, clear dreams. People traveling from far and wide to see what was this light in the sky that we witnessed on this night. And then all these rabbis and all these Christian monks, all these priests, all these knowledgeable people of the teachings and the traditions of the prophets of the past coming out of their little, you know, um, you know, holes, the little cracks in the wall that they had receded into for generations, for centuries, for decades that they had receded into waiting and biding their time. They start coming out of those little cracks in the walls. They start coming out from all these little nooks and corners and they're all gravitating towards this one place that the Prophet of the last time has arrived, he has been born, and the time has come. This is his time. And this is his era. So inshallah, go ahead and stop here for this week's session. In next week's session, inshallah, we're going to get to talk a little bit about the, 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 some of the initial years of the Prophet's life. So basically, the Prophet as an infant, we're going to talk about some very interesting, you know, maybe incidents that occurred. Also, some of the behavior of the Prophet as an infant, as a baby, as a child, that was observed. And one of the main things that we will talk about during that period and time of life is who are who are the women, and what were some of the details about them? What were some of their qualities? Who ended up nursing the Prophet Because these just are women. These aren't like babysitters. All right, these aren't just some random women that were hired to babysit him. They nursed. They fed, they breastfed the Prophet ﷺ, which makes them the birth mothers, uh, excuse me, the milk mothers versus the birth mother. The birth mother is Amina, the biological mother is Amina. This makes them the milk mothers 
of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu So we'll, these are obviously very great women and we'll get to know a little bit about them. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose these women for that purpose. And inshallah we'll discuss some of those details in next week's session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us uh, the proper understanding of the life of the Messenger sallallahu May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the proper love of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live a life that is in emulation, that is as close as possible to the very exemplary um, perfect example set by the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiru wa natubu ilayk.